Are you in a New York state of mind? We are this week on Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing Nas's 1994 debut album, Illmatic, our first official hip-hop album we will be discussing on the show. So it's a feat for us. And it's especially exciting because just a few days ago, Corey got to see Nas in concert with the Wu-Tang Clan on their tour. And so, pretty exciting to be covering an album right after you saw some of the songs live, I'm sure. Of course, of course. I mean, uh, it it was just like you said, it was uh, a feat, which I didn't expect to do a hip-hop album. You have to look at it in the analyzing in a different way, in my opinion, or, or just in a, in a way we're not used to looking at it. Uh, or maybe just me, but it, it was definitely a feat. It is super uh, cool to go through these and see them. I mean, he opened with Illmatic. So, um, the sky's the limit from there. <laughs> he pretty much, uh, I don't know if he played the whole, this whole entire album. He definitely didn't play it sequentially, but he, he hit a lot of them. I mean, he, he hit represent. He hit, Illmatic, he hit One Love, he hit New York State of Mind. I'm trying to think, man. He, I'm, he, they did a lot of this album. It was, it was phenomenal. That's good to hear. It makes sense that he would because this is a well-regarded album for him. But I do agree with you in terms of the context. This definitely was different to look at for me, especially. We'll get into that as we, in a few minutes, I guess, we'll get into that more as I explain my trouble kind of understanding it. But I think I got there eventually. So at least as much as I can, because let's just say, I think I can speak for you as well. This is not an album that really is something I think we can especially relate to. This does not, this is not reflective of our upbringings. I'll say that. Well, yeah, we didn't, we, you know, we didn't live in the ghetto. Uh, we didn't, I mean, I, Baltimore was changing when I was, when we were moving out. And that was in 95, 96, or especially the area that I was living in. Um, but in no way would I equate that or even try to equate that to living in Queensbridge or any of these projects that were plaguing uh, New York in this late 80s, early 90s mindset. New York still was considered pretty dangerous in the eye of the public as far as its renown as far as its as far as this uh, this reputation goes um i don't know if you ever remember that but early like late 80s early 90s it was some scary stuff to go to new york in the public eye you know i wouldn't know i wasn't alive then so. yeah, no, i'm telling i'm sorry not, not you know yeah it really was it was uh <laughs> it was a a scary place yeah I mean, now it's very uh, gentrified is the best word I can think of to describe it. That's really it. From what I've read, it was quite different back in that time period than it is today, of course. But this spoke to a experience of living in these Queensbridge projects for this guy, Nas. He wasn't born in Queens. He was born in Mississippi, but... His family eventually moved to Queens and his parents split up and he lived there with his brother and mom. I'm glad that I did look into this context of the album. I watched a good documentary about it called Time is Illmatic. It was released in 2014 for the album's 20th anniversary. Uh, 
in the U.S. at least, it's available to stream on Peacock, maybe a few other places. But if you're at all interested in this album, I highly recommend it. I know it really helped me understand where Nas was coming from. Because when I first heard this, I was kind of taken aback by some of it a bit. Because I was like, what's going on here? Who is this guy? I was just a little shell-shocked in some ways. But the documentary really helped give me context for Nas's background and what went into making this album. So I'm glad I did. <laughs> there you go. And uh, so... Yeah, this album was really out of my comfort zone, if you can't tell. I am only familiar with Nas through two featured verses, and they're both pop song collaborations. So I knew of this album. I knew this was when he debuted, and my younger brother Will loves this album, actually. He said it's one of his favorites, and he knows the words to every single song. There you go. So I thought, all right, okay. But... It's more in his wheelhouse than mine. He's more of a hip-hop head than me. But this was my first time hearing any of the songs, and I really had to do some research to understand what he was going for. And I don't think I was the only one who did it. It took some time in general, it looks like. So the album was released in April 1994, and it wasn't an immediate huge hit, actually. Only one of the songs even charted on the Hot 100. And it got rave critical reviews. Actually, it was uh, the only album to get a five mic review in the Source magazine, which was a huge deal at the time. Like, I, I don't know how much we can stress how huge of a deal it was at the time. Um, like, there was a straight moratorium put on the five mic review, period. It, it meant that it was a classic and. It was insane that they gave it. Also, for anyone listening that doesn't know what the source is, a quick analogy would be that it is the Rolling Stones of the hip-hop community. A huge monthly, giant, bright cover every month that tackles everything inside of the hip-hop scene. Yeah, so it was crazy to give a classic rating to a brand new album, but the reviewer had the album for like eight months before it was released, so they'd had some time with it and knew, oh, it's actually a classic, but not all the readers knew that at the time. Of course, this album's reputation speaks for itself. It's often called the greatest hip-hop album of all time. It's been named that by multiple publications, and uh, it took over a year for the album to be certified gold. Uh, It was certified platinum in 2001, and by that point, Nas has had some more mainstream success, and it's now two times platinum. But interestingly, it's not even his highest-selling album. The follow-up sold more. It's just really highly regarded and has continued to be its only gained in stature over the years. And, well, as you said, it's a big part of his live shows because it's often considered his best album. In some ways, that's seen as a curse because how do you follow up something people consider perfect? True. And you go back to that growing notoriety this is only the second one i can remember and i could be totally wrong but that was um selected by the library of congress for preservation uh, of a hip-hop album you mean 
Well, Metallica was the other one that we did that I remember seeing that stat, but maybe some of the other albums we had. Nirvana done. was in there. Gotcha. Nevermind's okay. in there, but this one is too. And I'm sure it is one of the first hip hop albums in there. I didn't look it up. No, I didn't look it up either. It was just interesting to see that one. It seems we we gravitate towards these ones. <laughs> Lately, we have been, it seems. I'll tell you what, If going back real quick to that five mic rating and how coming out when people say this is the best hip hop album of all time, um, you got to look at what it was championing. And it was, I would say it did know it was championing it, but it was championing the new or solidifying the East Coast rap sound and solidifying East Coast rap period on the map. Uh, This was early East Coast, West Coast. This wasn't crazy beef at this point yet. It was nearing ahead. But just a year prior, a year or two prior, The Chronic came out. And The Chronic threw everything on its head because it was that G-Funk. And it really did the same, in my opinion, that Illmatic did for East Coast uh, as far as switch the sound, give it an archetype to stand next to and to go forward with, but it didn't get that five. So, you know, you, you find like where this bubbling of East Coast, West Coast is coming from. And this is definitely one of those times where it is. Yes. And this is before everything got extremely intense. There was no murder involved by 1994, but there were still comparisons between the two coasts. In fact, the one album that everybody compared this to at the time was Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, which was also in the G-Funk vein and was released the year before this one and was one of the top albums of 1994. But Nas went for a different approach and it helped solidify that East Coast sound, I guess you could say. But at this point, we're not in crazy rivalries. But interestingly, Nas's biggest rivalry is with another East Coast rapper. Yeah. Yep. And that doesn't even really come up on this album. Uh, no, we're not there yet because Jay-Z hadn't even released his first album yet. But Yep. Uh, th- I mean, and and his sound would, would come to be from this sound or a, a lot of sounds. I mean, this was that East coast sound. This was the multi uh, syllabic sound that Wu-Tang was doing that man, everybody was doing. You would even see Eminem come to do this, this kind of sound later on Beastie Boys, Big Daddy Kane, Cool G rap. I mean, this was that, this is what I love. This is the, when I was growing up listening to hip hop, listening to rap, I grew up in a time where no limit and dirty South were very popular uh and i was never really down with that sound because i wasn't all about like the bitches and the rims and the tin none of that you know i i wasn't about that let's just yell about shit i want i love this lyrical penning of rap and i love this lyrical style of rap and it's what i would always fight for in those arguments like you gotta listen listen to what they're saying maybe you have to listen to it 12 times but it's there like a great poem like a great poet like great artists they were. Oh man, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to talk about East Coast hip hop. So <laughs> I'll stop my my first rant there. Well, with that being said, I'm ready to dive into the album and uh, go track by track. I don't have any crazy story about the album cover this time. It's an image of a young Nas superimposed over the neighborhood and uh, 
sets the tone for the album. That's really all I have to say about that. But family is a theme of this album. We'll get into that when we do the track by track. So that little boy whose face is on the cover is really the main theme of this album, too, which is is pretty wild as well. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. But let's get it started in here to quote another group. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. So the album begins with the Genesis. This is the intro for the album. Uh, I feel like this is something that just sets the tone for the album well. It has some spoken word samples in it, kind of to create that street vibe that they're going for, I guess. Yeah, it it definitely does. That street argument, that pump up uh, akin to what you might get in the studio back in these days when everybody was in there together. There's a little sample of 1983's Wild Style behind, um, which is another New York groundbreaking um, movement piece. But yes, it sets the tone of the dirty grittiness of a New York City session. Yep. (laughs) And, you know, when you first hear it, you're thinking like, oh, here we go. Because there were on these hip hop albums back then, these intros were, I'll go out on a limb and say like a dime a dozen. Don't get me wrong. There's some intros that were there for a great reason, but there's also some silly stuff, almost akin to how many intros we've seen on like Janet period, but that was, that was prevalent throughout nineties albums. Um, This one, not so much in my opinion, this one definitely was like gritty intro to a movie scene. Yeah. This one actually had an actual point to it. So the Genesis. And uh, now that we've discussed the intro, let's go on to the first song on the album, New York State of Mind, which I saw was the name of the tour you went to. It was indeed. So uh, this song is about gang involvement. And it's not really a pop song in any way. It is a long form poem. There's no central hook. It has two jazz samples, Mind Rain by Joe Chambers and Flight Time by Donald Byrd. I was surprised to hear how jazzy this album was. That was not something I was expecting, but that's a very prevalent influence throughout. I guess uh, Prince was wrong about jazz needing to die. (laughs) I heard that. He he was wrong as far as it went to the gentlemen that were producing this. We didn't really go through the the producer list on this, but I mean, we're talking about DJ Premier, Q-Tip. I'm going to leave a couple out until I go back and look at it, but... I mean, I was just going to mention them, like, through each track I'd mention who did it. I have oh, them yeah. all in my notes here, so we can, we'll do that then. I like that. I like that. I think that's the best way to, for at least I think it's the best way to do it. I was about to mention who did this production. Okay. All okay. right. I like that. So you're going to do DJ Premier? Um, yeah. All right. So... The song was produced by DJ Premier, first of five producers on the album. And uh, I was surprised to hear this because I know he's a hip hop producer, but I was familiar with his work because he produced a few songs on Christina Aguilera's Back to Basics album, including the hit Ain't No Other Man, which I think is a great song. And I thought his production work on those songs he did for that album was quite brilliant, actually. He really did an impeccable job fusing modern hip-hop elements along with the jazz age, classic soul sounds, and uh, did it well here. This was well before that album, over 10 years before, but 
I really enjoy this jazzy production, and I like the juxtaposition of it over the somewhat violent lyrics, because uh, it's describing the projects, I guess. I did feel like some of it was quite a bit violent, but I guess that was real. Definitely. Uh, when you're telling a story about the New York state of mind or about um, the dangerous environments that is New York City, you're going to you got to expect that violence in the in the the lyrics. The jazziness on this is I'm so glad you brought it up because there's so many and we'll go over hopefully all of them. But there's so many times where this album does three things that I think is perfect, and that is take pieces from the past, put them in the present talk about the present and then also talk about going into the future and knowing what this album became and how much it had an impact on the future, especially of East coast hip hop. It's, it's so neat to see how much of the roots. I mean, even Eric B and Rakim's mahogany was, was sampled on this. So you're, you're not that far off year wise um, as far as where these samples are coming from. It, it's, I, I love this. I, I love the first stanza of this really just punches. Um, I've heard a few stories or read a few stories about when he was doing this uh, in the studio. And they were saying that he was like covering his mouth up they couldn't hear what he was saying. Then boom, he just threw it on. I'll quote the lyrics. Rappers, I'm monkey flipping with the funky rhythm I be kicking. Musician inflicting composition of pain. I'm like Scarface sniffing cocaine. Holding an M16 with the pen, I'm extreme. Right off the bat, he tells, I mean, he lets you know that he can get down. And we are in for a wild ride. But yeah, this perfectly sets the tone of New York and where he's coming from. Again, this one, this album scrolls through my brain almost like a movie. Um, so this is this is that opening scene. You're coming right from that dirty argument or scuffle or just words back and forth that we hear in Genesis. And then now uh, Nas really paints a picture of New York and that New York state of mind. Yeah, I really enjoyed this song. Um, my first thought on it was, I can't relate to this at all, but... Shed a light on something that I really don't know much about, and it might not be as prevalent in New York, but I certainly think it's still prevalent in certain parts of this country, I'm sure. Well, Baltimore, specifically. It, it, most, no, most definitely parts of this country, all over the place, but yes. Yeah, my mind goes to Baltimore, but it yeah. is real. I do know that, but I just have no firsthand experience of it whatsoever, what really shocks me about this song is this is one of the iconic songs on the album that people really highly regard. It's actually the most streamed song from the album on Spotify. It's Nas's second most streamed song, period. This was never a single. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I don't agree with that decision, first of all. I do question one of the single choices here big time, but we are not there yet. I don't know how this was passed up as a single. I know it's extreme, but I mean, all these songs are extreme in some way. This really wasn't made for radio. He went more towards the mainstream with uh, his next album, it appears. I didn't listen to it, but based on the singles, he went more for a pop sound to an extent for top 40. But he wasn't doing that here. That wasn't the point. But I still don't get how this wasn't a single. You know, it's an afterthought, and now I'd love to look into it. I will after we finish this, but 
Mixtapes were super prevalent at this point, and it might have been, I'm speaking totally facetiously, but it might have been to the point, or hypothetically, but it might have been to the point that this had been out there already, and people had heard it, and they didn't go with this. But that, that's, a, that's a really crazy point. How many singles were there off this album? One? Five. No shit. Okay, yes. heard that. I'm One of them was released well before the album was released. We'll oh, yeah. Okay. That's the only that, one but... I thought there was. <laughs> no, there were five singles on this album. That's why I'm mind blown that one of them wasn't this one. That's yeah, my that's... main point to that, because there that's... were actually five. But the next song is one of those singles. Life's a Bitch. This one contains a sample of Yearning for Your Love by the Gap Band, which is not something I would think of for a song like this. I wouldn't think of a Gap Band song, but they did that. And this one has a guest rapper, the only song on here, too. His name is AZ. And I think this is a clever take on a common phrase, life's a bitch and then you die. When I first heard this, I'm not going to lie, I felt like it was well done, but I felt like it was a lot to take in. And I thought I really need to know more about what's going on here because I just didn't know what to think after I first heard this. I thought, what did I just listen to? It was a lot for me to process, but watching the documentary helped me. AZ wrote his verse after he lost a friend. So I thought, okay, understanding where he's coming from there and Sadly, these friends that these guys lost were often lost to violence, and uh, that's extremely preventable, as we know, so that's a different kind of pain, I would imagine. I haven't lost a loved one to violence, but I would never want to, I know that much. And uh, the song also ends with a trumpet solo by Nas's father, Oludara, which is pretty cool, I think, and it's a nice solo, but... Yeah, this one had to grow on me a bit. I had to listen to it a few times to enjoy it. But what I do appreciate about it is Nas doesn't glorify the actions mentioned in the song because they are intense. And that's why I was so taken aback. I was like, so what is he trying to say about it? Did have to look that up, but glad I did. Uh, This has been called possibly the saddest hip hop song ever. You took the words right out of my mouth on that. I mean, especially with his dad's outro. But you listen to what this song says, and you're right. In no way is this song glorifying this. But it's a window into the minds of the guys that were living through this, seeing this loss and being like, you know what? Life's a bitch, and then we die. That's why we get high. Uh, you know, that's why. Fuck it. Let's just go. This was this was a wild one. It's It's always been a wild one. They played this. And don't get me wrong. Everybody loves this song. And people get pumped up about it, but it's definitely a sad song, in my opinion. I mean, it's it's definitely a sad song. Um, it's it's another song where he really kills that multisyllabic rhyme form. And I, he crushes down on it and, and uses it to talk about, you know, this loss, his sadness, but also to to toot his own horn, you know, and let him know that, that he will stay through on it. Shit, I, I got another line right here. Got rhymes 365 days annual, plus some. Loaded up the mic and bust one. Cuss while I puss from my skull. Because it's pain in my brain vein. Money maintained. Don't go against the grain, simple and plain. Get out of here. Get out of here. He was dropping ridiculous 
ridiculous Maltese back in the day, like nobody's business. Top of the game. I'm sorry. You're going to hear me say that a bunch. But uh, life's a bitch. Again, he's at the top of his game. Sad song, but what a song. Yeah, and I'm going to say this right now. Obviously, this is a very different album from the one we discussed last week. But I do feel that Nas went about making his points better than Mr. Cobain did. I'm just going to say that right now. Well, yeah, you look at those artists and uh, you know what? I, I will, uh, He definitely makes his point in a totally different way because he's a different person, because yes. he literally is he's penning not only a wild time in New York uh, history wise. And he saw that and focused into to write it for us. But he's also writing his own trials and tribulations, which he knows are fucked. You know, he knows are terrible because he's starting to see the other side of the coin. He's starting to see his own success uh, inside of his career at this point. Um, so, yeah, we get 100 percent. He's not going to be telling you this is great. We'll, we'll hit on it later, but he's 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 not glorifying. I totally agree with you there. Yeah. And I think that's key because, well, we don't want to glorify this stuff. We want to do better. So we can, we can teach through stories and hopefully everyone will listen. Yes. And uh, this song was produced by LES, the only production from that person on this album. And uh, I feel like it's a good production, too. It's a fitting beat, especially with the trumpet. So hats off to them for this song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Ow! Yeah, I try, I try not to get crazy over here right now. But Clearly, I mean, come on! I mean, his dad played the outro to that shit. Oh, insane! Anyway, yes. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now we are on to a somewhat more optimistic song, The World Is Yours. Uh, This still has some really dark references in it. I uh, had to look up who Pappy Mason was. Definitely glad that guy's in jail. (laughs) (laughs) This song was inspired by Scarface, and so was the video. I'm going to say right now, I've never seen Scarface. No? No. You should watch it. I will at some point. It just sounded like long and... Not my go-to genre of film, not the thing that most automatically appeals to me, but I, I will one day. It's, worth, but... it's definitely 100% worth watching. Like, it's on the list of films that you should see before you pass. Well, one I'll, day. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get to it. I didn't do it this week, but right. I, I will at some point. So, but we're not there yet. So, what was really crazy about this that I learned was in... Uh, the documentary, Nas said that he predicted the birth order of his children, and that gives him chills. And that's pretty wild that he did that. He said what? He mentioned having a daughter, then a son in the song at one point, and <laughs> that was what happened for him. That's he, awesome. His daughter was actually born the same year this album was released, I believe. Ah, oh, that's awesome. This is what you needed, in my opinion, on the album after Life's a Bitch. 
Oh yeah. You needed a positive, find some optimism uh, inside of the scenes that you've already walked us through, even though you're still talking about them, um, you're finding that optimism and, and you're, you're showing us that it's our world, you know, it, it, towards the end of life's a bitch, he switches up and says, you know, I changed my motto from fuck tomorrow. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like the dollar that I spent on the bottle could have been the one to win the lotto. I think yes. that's the lot. That's um, the one. Yeah. So, uh, and that carries on, in my opinion, into whose world is this? <laughs> I swear to God, I don't have a line from every single song, but in whose world is this? The one that I love is a sip down pee, watching Gandhi till I'm charged, then writing books, writing in my book of rhymes, all the words past the margin to hold the mic. I'm throbbing, mechanical movement, understandable, smooth shit that murderers move with. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, my Lord. This- I did like that he mentioned Gandhi. That definitely showcased we're going in a different direction now. Oh, but yeah. Never would have thought you'd hear Gandhi and Hitler mentioned in the same song, but here we are. Well, and, and that was exactly what he wanted to do is show you, you know, I'm going to sit back, sip a little Dom P., get a good vibe going on and then just get into the book of rhymes and, and then also flip it and talk about Hitler in the same song. You're right. It, it was, uh, here we go. A little bit of happiness because there hasn't been much, like you, yeah. can, you can find small triumphs, I guess, inside of the street scenes. Um, if you look hard uh, and, and if you put your mind, I'm talking up to this point in the album, if you put your mind inside of the character or the person who's living it, which I think, or in my opinion, he does so well. It gives us this this window into these characters or into these people. But yeah, you, you know, this is the first time you really find happiness mentioned on the album or really expressed on the album. And I love it. Yes. And uh, this also was a single. And it peaked at 14 on the Bubbling Under charts and 27 on the Rap Songs chart. But its reputation is greater than that. This is often considered one of the very best hip-hop songs of all time. I don't even think it's the best song on the album, but I do think it's a well-done song. But I, this seems to be, for a lot of people, the song on the album. It isn't for me. But... Yeah, people love this. They played this, and it was pretty much a sing-along. Like, I'd say for a good 45% of the song, he just had the mic out in the crowd. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> I believe it. And this is a sticky hook, too. It gets stuck in your head. This has been in my head all week. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Whose world is this? Oh, that's the joint right there, man. That is the joint. The first happiness, happiness, the first happiest happiness and optimism of the album. Yes. (laughs) And this song was produced by Pete Rock. I once again think he did a great job on the production, especially on the hook. And there was a remix produced by Q-Tip, who we'll hear from later in the album as well. And it contains some different lyrics. I don't think the remix is quite as good as the album version, but it's of note, I suppose. Pete Rock even put himself on the hook. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> he was like, let me get on there. Uh, but yeah, no, we didn't talk about it a lot. And it's it's a small fact, but Q-Tip fought to get on this album, to, to produce on this album. I mean, a lot of people wanted to get in on the production of this album, but Q-Tip uh, 
first and foremost under DJ Premier. So it's it's cool to see him coming up and then, like you said, show up later on, on, on the album itself. Yes, and I'm going to say right now, I'm very glad that he produced on this album, but we're not quite there yet. We are now on to the halfway point of the album, track five, which is fittingly called Halftime. This was not recorded for the album. This was on a soundtrack for a film called Zebrahead, and it was released as a single in late 1992. This one has some really cool lines in it. Some of them are like, whoa, like, here are a couple couplets I like. I set it off with my own rhyme because I'm as ill as a convict who kills for phone time. I'm max like cassettes. I flex like sex. <laughs> That's yeah. just... And uh, then... Oh, this is the one line I really loved. I used to watch Chips, now I load Glock clips. <laughs> I uh, love that line. There is one line I really don't like that's uh, shortly after it. Right after that, he says, I got to have it. I miss Mr. Magic. Versatile. My style switches like a faggot, but not a bisexual. I'm an intellectual. I don't like that line a whole lot. Very uh, homophobic. No other way to say it, but I don't. I'm not gonna die. I'm not. You, you, ah, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I'm not gonna dive in there. I could walk down that path, and well, I, I'd like to walk down the path of that line. I thought, I thought you might get hung up on that line, and I'd like to talk about it after the podcast. But this is one where we we can talk openly. Not that I don't think that the opinions of our listeners. Uh, matter, but it's something that I don't feel comfortable talking about out here. Uh, there's a lot of like behind the scenes, dirty, grimy shit that go into the way that that line is put together. Uh, if you know, you know, and everybody doesn't even need to know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't. I have to disagree with you. Uh, just under the the preference of 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 saying that and and knowing where that line was or how it was written and what it was written for it wasn't homophobic or i would think it wasn't homophobic but i could see where you were on that i totally can see where you were on well i looked up another one of his songs ever that is definitely homophobic oh yeah okay heard that heard that heard that it definitely is but different strokes for different folks about it we'll talk about it later i guess in a very in a very a lot of it has to do with incarceration and the things that happen inside of incarceration that aren't necessarily things that we could wrap our head around or even want to think about. But there is a, whoo, I'm not going to do this on the podcast. Just it, it has to do with that. And, and we'll, we'll so speak it's about, about right. Ah, not no, not at all, not at all. That's not what I meant. Okay, all right. We'll talk about this later then. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Um, but. That line notwithstanding, I think he has a great flow on this song. But what I'll say is, I think it's a bit of an odd fit on the album. I feel like it's a bit overproduced in comparison to the other songs here. Uh, It was produced by Large Professor, and I'm going to say this right now. He's one of the two producers on the album that did more than one song here. Definitely prefer DJ Premier's work to his. I'm going to say that right now. This guy, I'm not really feeling him. There are some samples here. The most prominent was the average white band's uh, Schoolboy Crush, which was also sampled on New Agenda from the Janet album. So I thought that was pretty cool. And the video for the song also has a grimy street feel, which is fitting for the song, I guess. But 
yeah, those are my thoughts on halftime. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it fits the album very well. Yeah, it definitely you can feel that it was a perfect way to do literally the halfway point of your album as far as it being halftime and, and putting this on there. You could feel it was a little bit different time for Nas, and it definitely came from somewhere outside of this album. I think my favorite, I have to say, uh, sample on this was the bass line was from Dead End from the Japanese cast recording of the musical Hair. <laughs> you want to talk about deep track deep cuts for for your samples you went to the japanese cast recording of hair uh, let's go <laughs> yeah i will say there are definitely creative samples on the album that is for sure but that's what they have to do that's their main instrument is sampling when it comes to hip-hop so there's okay. that and uh that's really all i have to say about halftime i guess we're on to the next track, then, unless you have something to add. Net, on to the next. All right, this is Memory Lane, Sitting in the Park, another DJ premiere production. I feel like the title is ironic because this is kind of a dark memory lane, I'm not going to lie. But even though it's one of the happier songs on the album, still, it's Memory Lane of the Street. So I feel like it's kind of an ironic title, at least that's how... I interpret it. For me, I didn't like the beat as much on this one. I felt like it was a bit redundant at first. And I looked into it and found out DJ Premier originally had a completely different beat for this. But Nas wanted something else. He insisted on a sample of jazz organist Ruben Wilson's Wear in Love. And Nas won out on that. And many think it fits the song better, but... Hot tea take, I prefer the original premiere mix. I think the beat, it is harsher, but I like that more. And uh, it's funkier and it has a better groove than this one for me. This one kind of meanders for me a bit. I like the lyrics okay. I just don't love uh, the final version. I would have preferred it if they went with the original, but that wasn't what happened. Yeah, I, I have to, I, I'll play the other side on that one because I do love the way this song is structured and I really enjoy that Hammond organ and vocal sample, but only because for me, it gives it an old school feel. And I feel like that lends itself perfect to this blending of this. For me, Memory, Memory Lane has this real old school, like late 80s hip hop sound to it. And it's him talking about coming through you know, growing up, the things he would, you know, through all the way through through becoming the artist that he is. And I enjoyed that sample for that, I, I think. And I I could only hope that's why Nas chose it as well. But but that that one always helped me out. The, the Hammond organ and the vocal sample always helped me get in that old school vibe for this narrative. Um, I didn't think of this as being more old school hip hop, but I'm no hip hop expert. So. I, yeah, I, for me, it always felt like like late 80s you know in, in its in its way that it was was spit not necessarily spit the whole way through like that because i got one here that i love and uh he says sentence begins indented with formality my duration's infinite money wise or physiology poetry that's a part of me retardedly bop i dropped the ancient manifested hip-hop straight off the block uh, this is an, a really awesome song for Nas to tell you exactly who he is and who he's growing up to be inside this. And I really love it for that. 
All right, there we have it. Memory Lane sitting in the park. And now we're on to your track seven. Yeah. And it shares the title intentionally with a Bob Marley song. This is One Love. This is a really unique song. I've never heard a song like this before. The concept of it is that it's a series of letters to friends in prison. And uh, Nas also imparts wisdom on younger kids to do better, which is a good message to send. And uh, even though it's to friends in prison, this song does have an underlying message of unity. I think we have that signified in the title of the song. And I think that's nice in the dire circumstances presented here. And this one was produced by Q-Tip, who we mentioned earlier. If you don't know him, he was the leader of a group called The Tribe Called Quest. And he's not somebody I'm super familiar with. I'm most familiar with him uh, for his work on Janet Jackson's Got Till It's Gone, which he was featured on. And uh, I love the guy just because he gave us the great line, Joni Mitchell never lies on that song amidst a Joni Mitchell sample. So... I love that he did that, and uh, I really enjoy his production here. I feel like it fits the song well, and uh, I like the overall message, and I think Q-Tip has a somewhat more positive vibe than other hip-hop artists of this time, and uh, I really dig that. I'm not going to lie. Q-Tip and Tribe were always, in my opinion, a very positive movement forward type of group, and I always enjoyed that. On the same note, Q-Tip is one of the greatest storytellers in the game uh, ever. And for him to pair up with a young storyteller at this point like Nas, to me, seemed so perfect and ended up in the long story of it all very perfect. Uh, like you said, this letter, this this song's just letters to friends that that are inside you know uh it paints crazy pictures of life outside of the penitentiary and it's i mean is literally those letters um there's a music journalist by the name of Torre that referred to one love as an example of the thematic differences between i go back to the east coast and west coast uh style and that the more ambitious themes, I'm taking this quote unquote, the more ambitious themes of New Yorkers rhymes over those of their L.A. counterparts can be traced to the original intention of the hip hop in each city uh, where many L.A. rappers embrace the drug culture, while those in New York tended to use hip hop as an avenue of escape from it. And he goes on to cite a line or a few lines inside, but one uh, about Nas saying that. Or, or make an example that it was a two-day getaway where he would go and be alone. But it, it that's the truth of, of this escape, and we see it a lot um, throughout throughout the hip-hop albums of the 90s period from, from New York rappers, in my, my opinion. I really loved, and I have to think it comes from both of the hearts of both of those artists, but this grim picture that's painted on both sides coming in from Nas to the inmates and them having to read what's going on outside and how terrible it is. The last stanza is actually about Nas sitting uh, with a 12-year-old boy. And I go, quote unquote, Shorty's laugh was cold-blooded as he spoke so foul, only 12, trying to tell me that he liked my style. 
Then I rose, wiping the blunt ash from my clothes, then froze only to blow the herb smoke through my nose and told my little man I'm a ghost. I bros left some jewels in his skull that he can sell if he chose. So, you know, he's he's leaving that song, this whole song about writing to people who got caught up in it and ultimately tells the young guy like this ain't the life, man. And I thought that's such a great way to end this this narrative. Yes, I think this is a wonderful narrative, and I just had a thought. Um, my friend recently told me a neighborhood boy of hers asked if she could kick her dog. I think we need to play him one love to give him a message, <laughs> because uh, that was not okay. I was pretty appalled to hear that. but Scared straight? You don't need scared straight. Just play one love for the young kids. <laughs> yes. yes, one love indeed. Now we are on to track number eight, One Time for Your Mind. Uh, This is another Large Professor collaboration. Uh, What do you think of this song? This one one is one of my favorite things that Nas does, and that's a truly anecdotal everyday play-by-play. But this was always my least favorite song on the album. Like a gun to my head, and that's very hard. I'm not saying this is a bad song. It's a killer song as far as compared to other hip hop throughout the nineties. But on this album, it just, it don't, it doesn't add or take away. It's a, it's a really awesome story and there's great lines throughout, but for me, it doesn't hit like the rest of the album does. I'm with you on that. Yeah. I asked you to go first for a reason. This is my least favorite too. This one didn't do a whole lot for me. I really didn't have a lot to say about it. This is the least streamed song on the album besides the intro. And I can definitely see why. Yeah. And like I said, it's not bad. It just doesn't it doesn't grip you like the rest of the album does. Yeah, this one really didn't grip me at all upon this listen. Maybe it would in the future, I don't know. But this time, nah, not for me, I'm afraid. But now we are moving on to track number nine, our penultimate track here. Represent, definitely a step up for me, I think. Um, I think there's a great sample on the hook, and the score from the 1924 silent film Thief of Baghdad is used, which is a really creative idea. Who would have thought, I'm going to use a sample from a silent film score from the 1920s for my hip-hop song. So creative. DJ Premier is the man. This is another song that Nas and DJ Premier disagreed over the beat for it, but Premier put his foot down and said, no, you have to keep this. And I'm so glad Premier won because the beat here is killer. I think Nas got his way with Memory Lane, but Premier got his way with this one. But these two guys just worked really well together. And this is another example of that. I was not shocked to find that they've continued to work together throughout the years because uh, great idea. And Nas's flow is amazing. He's telling the story at breakneck speed. The one line I was really shook by was when he mentioned son of Sam being son of Sam. Yeah. I was like, whoa. And an interesting fact, I referenced Jay-Z earlier being Nas's most notable feud. He specifically mentioned the line about having a tech in the dresser on his song Takeover on the Blueprint album in 2001 which I thought was an interesting factoid. Yeah. When you talk about that Son of Sam reference, it's so great because I I don't have them in front of me and I'll paraphrase it, but 
that thought process is basically like, I don't need a gun, but if I, if things flip back around and I got to do what I got to do and go back, then you better believe I'm going to be like the son of Sam out there, which is, is such a powerful right away uh, visualization inside, inside of that lyric. Oh so, yeah. I heard this. I immediately thought, don't fuck with Nas. <laughs> there you go. Represent was a Queensbridge anthem. You know what I'm saying? With a bevy of call outs, uh, including anybody who wants to come fuck with Queensbridge. That was real. Uh, represent represent was crazy like that. And it, it gets people pumped up. They played this one at the Nas joint. Who man, people got insane on it. Represent is always a keeper. Yes. And there are some great lines in this one. And I especially love that the last line before the final course, enough respect to the projects. I'm ghost one love. I love that. Yeah, that's so hard. So beautiful. Straight up Queensbridge anthem. Yes, it is. And uh, now we're at the end of the album. Track number 10. It ain't hard to tell. Even though it's the final track on the album, it was actually the album's lead single. Interestingly, it reached 91 on the Hot 100 uh, and uh, was the only song from this album to chart on the Hot 100. Uh, it notably contains a sample of uh, Michael Jackson's Human Nature, which is a often used sample, but still a great sample because that's a great song. And uh, for me, Hot Tea Take, the sample makes the song for me. This one... Uh, wasn't my favorite on the album. It's another Large Professor collaboration. And like I said before, I'm not 100% feeling that guy. I think his work pales in comparison to DJ Premier's. Uh, and uh, I still think this is an interesting song. And something really fascinating I found while doing research was a video from five years ago of Nas discussing this song's lyrics with a Harvard poetry professor named Eliza New, which shows how much is going on in these lyrics. That's pretty impressive to me that it's being analyzed academically. This whole album has more than once, so I find that very interesting. For me, I think Represent should have closed the album. I don't think this was the best album closer. This one was just okay for me but you look like you have a different opinion on it. I, I, for me, I'm with you on the sample elevated this leaps and bounds. I'd like to hope, maybe I'm reading too far in, but I'd like to hope that using human nature to end this album had somewhat of a poetic uh, meaning inside of itself, just the human nature, because that's what we've been exploring throughout this whole entire album. Like I said, that saxophone sample is my jam. It keeps me running on this one. Uh, it's definitely jazzier than a lot. But this one is always a great ender for me. Um, and that, that last stanza, again, packing like a Rasta in the weed spot. Vocals will squeeze glocks. MCs eavesdrop, though they need not to sneak. My poetry's deep. I never fell. Nas's rap should be locked in a cell. It ain't hard to tell. And that's how you end an album in my in my uh, in my book. You 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 smack us in the face and let us know exactly who you are. Uh, and that's Nas. And and we'll never forget that. And we 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 got to thank him for that one. Yeah, <laughs> 
And what I do love about this kind of being full circle is the video for this song was actually an homage to Wild Style, which is pretty cool considering the album began with samples from that film. I thought that was a really cool factoid about this song. But uh, yeah, it ain't hard to tell. First single, but the last song on the album. Yeah, it ain't hard to tell. Uh, You know, even for the source, it wasn't hard to tell that this was going to be a classic. And now we sit here many, many years later saying the same thing. Yep. And with that being said, what is your grade for the album? Man, uh, for me, this is an A. Uh, Even after all these years, uh, the shine of the lyricism has not faded at all. Uh, The sounds and the world and the words that helped solidify the East Coast rap scene uh, still seem to speak truths, like we said, even now. Um, So I I say to everybody, sit back, relax and enjoy East Coast rap at its finest. I'm going to give this a B. This was definitely out of my comfort zone. I did find a lot of uh, good things to say, but specifically the large professor songs for me really didn't cut it. I know not everybody feels that way, obviously, but for me, I wasn't feeling them a whole lot. But there were some really cool points represented on this album, and uh, it shed a light into an experience not everybody knew about. And I think that was uh, really cool. I'm not the biggest hip hop head at all. I'm not quite sure this is even my go to style of hip hop. I'm thinking I have a better idea of it now, but. I'll mention that when I reveal my favorite track, I'll mention that. So, All right, all right. What's your favorite track, then? Let us know. One Love. All right, that's what I'm talking about. One Love. Wow, man, I did not expect that at all as your favorite track. Why'd you pick One Love? I like the overall message of unity that is in it. I like the hook, and uh, I think what I've come to learn is I like Q-Tip. That is what I got from this song. I like Q-Tip, and now I'm more interested in exploring his work beyond just Got Till It's Gone and this song, I think. Oh, so... That, that You bring a tear to my eye, man. That That's what we do it for on top of everything, is is if, if anything, just expand our own minds and our own uh, listening. So... Don't worry, I got plenty of tribe for you. <laughs> I'll, oh. I'll, I'll steer you right down that path. I got on touch Q-tip. He he. This yeah. is another podcast, but he goes all across the board, yeah, as you know. So yeah, but he's a great artist. Yeah, I'm thinking that's more my kind of hip hop. Is the vibe I'm getting from it is uh, what I'm thinking. But it's a genre that goes in many different directions, but. Yeah, One Love is my favorite on the album, and I wish it had more streams on Spotify. I'm going to say that right now. It's a hardcore one. That's why I I love that you picked that. I love that you picked that. For me, I got to go with The World Is Yours. Uh, There's no way I get past the hook. Whose world is this? Uh, And lyrically, it's the one that always has me going, always has had me going and still does. All right, well... There we have it, the first Turntables and Tea Hip Hop episode of Nas's Illmatic. This was a fun one to do. Uh, definitely expanded the horizons for us, but for me, definitely expanded the horizons for me, that's for sure. Nah, for us both. Uh, there's no way you can listen to this album and not find a little something, a little something that you haven't heard before. Yeah, man, this one, this one will get everybody, so... 
Thanks for thanks for coming through this journey. Like you said, it was a task, man. It's a different kind of, of beast when you have to, when when you're listening to a, a different kind of. I guess just hip hop. I don't know why, but you know we don't have the the guitars and the drums and everything on this album to talk about. So you really get to do what is my favorite thing to do with hip hop, and that's listen to the stories and dissect them. So thanks for coming down this one with me, man. Not a problem, and. I have good news for you. Oh, shit. So, if you don't know, we did a poll recently of what you want us to end the month out with, and... Oh, what do we get? This month, Corey's just going to get his way for everything, because the (laughs) album that... The winning album was the score by the Fugees. Oh, man. You guys have such good taste. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Hot tea take. I was hoping we didn't do this album because I love it so much. And this could be like an eight hour podcast. Oh my God. I have way too much to say about this album. There's great tea on this album too. Plus it's a fucking. Oh yeah. With personalities like these. Oh Oh. yeah. There's definitely tea. So we are looking forward to that most certainly. And in the meantime, Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcasts and subscribe wherever you're listening and leave us a nice review. And until then, just keep score until we discuss the score. Peace!